welcome to this great series. How many of you recognize that song and could name it right now? Anybody in the room? Good. A couple of you guys, fellow nerds like me, love DC Comics. And so, Actually, we had a discussion in the green room earlier today helping someone discover that wasn't Marvel, that was DC, and why that was. And I was like, okay, now we're just nerds. Anyway, so Justice suddenly Unleavened, the whole idea of ICNU, the whole idea of like the, all the things that we believe that, that sometimes we don't know about ourselves, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me start by telling you a little bit about like things. So have you ever been someplace that someone recognized you like they thought you were someone else? Anybody ever have that happen to you? Like they thought you were, yeah, that's how, okay, good. So Apparently, I'm the doppelganger for several other people, and you may not have known this, but you'll recognize as soon as, like, for example, right here, like, um, Alan Starner, who plays our lead guitarist or director of worship here at this campus, he and I are like twins, and so often, like, if we're doing, like, a service together sometimes, and there's a lot of new people there, they will often, like, someone will come up to Alan and be like, man, you, that message that you brought was really great, and he, he's like, I don't know what to say. I'm like, you just say, thank you. I worked really hard on it. it was, I'm glad that it really ministered to you. I've even had my own wife, like, walking down the hallway call me Alan, like, so I'm like, you don't, you don't even recognize me? Like, this is how much, anyway, so so apparently, you know, and we can, we're stunt doubles for each other, and it's fantastic. So someday, I'm going to be playing guitar up there just like that, and you'll recognize the difference by the notes. Um, so another doppelganger, now you probably, you may not have known this, but someone brought this up the other, other year on Facebook that apparently Kid Rock and I, also doppelgangers. I haven't had a lot of people mistake us for each other. I don't know what that's about, but maybe... If I get those dreadlocks attached to my hat someday, people are going to think I'm Kid Rock. So, um, but, so often people have this, this mistaken identity issue, right? So you, someone thinks you're someone that you're not. But today what we're going to talk about is something that we often face ourselves, and that's we don't think that we think we aren't someone that we are. We think we're not someone that we actually are, and that's what this series is about, I see in you. And we're going to talk about a man named Moses who thought he was some, wasn't someone that he actually was, and his story. Now, if, if, you, if I talk about Moses, you probably have some familiarity with him because how many of you have seen the Ten Commandments, right? You've seen the Ten Commandments? Okay, and you watch it just for the special effects, don't you? You're like, wow, those special effects are so cutting edge. I'm all on that, like, pillar of fire that comes out. That Man, that is so amazing. But I, I've watched this for years. I still watch it. My wife mocks me when I watch. She's like, you've seen this a thousand times. I'm like, yeah, we're going to see it one more because I always watch Ten Commandments. I love Charlton Heston and his whole thing. And, but some of you might be, that movie's too old for you and you recognize this guy, right, from Prince of Egypt. Disney has also done us a favor of introducing us to the character of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. You probably heard about that whole parting of the Red Sea and his role in it. And he's a pretty famous guy. I mean, so most of us, when we think about Moses, if you've had any exposure to him at all, you probably think right away about how he is this heroic, amazing leader, how he is like larger than life. Wow, I could never be like that guy. And that's, that, that might be how you see him. But did you know that that's not how Moses saw himself? That was not his perspective on himself at all. In fact, Moses wasn't born into that kind of a situation. If we actually look at Moses' story, and you can actually find a nice summary of how Moses got to where he was in Exodus 1, the book of Exodus, is is Moses' story. It's a story of what God did through Moses and his life. It's a great book. You should go read it for yourself. You read the whole account. We're not going to talk about all the details this morning, but if you'll pick up the book of Moses, Exodus, and start in chapter 1, you will read a whole bunch of things that you'll be like, 
wow, I had no idea. Wow, that guy's story amazing. And so if you read Exodus 1, what you'll discover is this summary of about 500 to 1,000 years of history where um, God had brought some people out and the nation of Israel had been formed and they were about to starve. And because there were actually foreigners ruling Egypt at that time, Hycosis, and they were actually rulers, they actually brought a man named Joseph who was part of the Israel nation as second in command, and his family was about to starve, and he saved them. They came to Egypt, and Egypt was saved. It's a really amazing story you can find at the end of Genesis. And, and out of that story, we find the nation of Israel now subject, subjugated as slaves in Egypt because they had prospered. They had done really well under this when, the, when this foreign party had ruled Egypt, but when the Egyptians came back into power, they were in fear of them. They were like, well, I'm afraid of what's going to happen here. And so they subjugated them into slavery. Now, this is where Moses comes into the story. He is born a Hebrew, an Israelite, in this society of being oppressed. And, and he's about to be murdered, and his mother finds a sneaky way to get him actually raised in the house of Pharaoh. So he is actually raised as an Egyptian, not as a slave, but as an Egyptian. And in that story, he, he, he finds himself not quite an Egyptian, goes discovers along the way, I'm different, I'm actually Hebrew, I'm actually part of, but, I'm, but I'm in the Egyptian household, so I'm not really Hebrew either, and he's in this land in between. And as an adult, he grows up and he witnesses this guy, slave driver, beating a Hebrew into submission. And that moment happens from him. You know that moment when you're driving and you become a different person and, you're, and your whole family's like, what is wrong with you? You're enraged, you're going crazy. You're like, how did that person do that? Why don't they use their turn? So you, how many of you, okay, don't make you raise your hand. I know that some of you turn into that person when you drive. Well, for Moses, he turns into that person when he sees this beating and he says, I can't, I can't not do anything about this. And he confronts the slave driver and his rage is the best of him and he beats him to death, kills him. And as a result, he is ostracized, he is banished, he has to run for his own life, and he ends up going out into the desert and going to this land of, called Midian. Now, Midian is about 300 miles east of Egypt, across the desert and the mountains. So this is not a, yeah, I went to the land of Midian, drove over there, about a day's travel was great, kind of hit out. This is like two or three-week journey Bear Gorillas, you know, looking, eating things under rocks, drinking things that came out of your body. I don't know what that journey was like, but I imagine it was gross and he had to, I mean, I imagine it was not an easy journey. He gets to the land of Midian. So the first 40 years of the chapter of his life, he's in Egypt. The second 40, he's on the back 40. He is hiding out as a shepherd in the mountains, just apparently just figuring, I'm just going to live out my days or this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. But In that season, at some point, as he's contemplating all of his past and all the things he's done and God and what God has to do with all of this, he sees something. While he's out shepherding, he sees this burning bush. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a burning bush, but apparently it's pretty amazing, although it looks like a cheap 80s side effect, apparently, based on all. This is like the best Google image I could find of this picture. So no one must really have any real idea of like, what does it look like for a bush to be on fire but not being burned up? And, and here's this picture. Like, you imagine seeing this bush in flames, on fire, and not being burned up. And he goes over to it. And he's like, what's going on? And out of this experience, as God attracts him to it, God speaks to him. God says something to Moses. He says, 
Moses, I need to talk to you about something. And this is what God says. It starts in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. He says, the cry of the Israelites who are in slavery in Egypt, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now, so now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses is there, and he's like, whoa. Okay, um, God, uh, I, I know that you believe in me. And God's saying, I believe in you. I believe in you as a leader. Moses is not ready for this statement. He is not ready to be challenged. It doesn't sit with him well. And he goes, I don't know if you got the right guy. Now, some of you can probably identify with Moses. When God asks you to do something, God says, I believe in you to do this. And you go, I don't know if you got the right person. I don't know if I'm the right person for this job. And we're in the series called I See in You. It's about the things that God sees in you that you can't even see in yourself, that you may not even, might not even believe that they're there, but God sees them in you. He sees in you a person who can change the world in the way that he made you. And he wants you to be a part of that. But just like Moses, you have questions, I have questions, and we're going to look at Moses' story and see some questions that arise out of Moses' story today. And so if you haven't pulled it out yet, you can pull out your outline. It's in this little thing called the scoop. And if you open it up, there's a little outline inside there. You can follow along today as we talk about what are some of those questions. When God asks us to lead and we're going, uh, what are some of the questions that we ask? What are some of the questions that we should ask? So the first question that we find ourselves is when God asks you to lead, are you a question mark or an exclamation point? Are you a question mark or an exclamation point? And so now I got to tell you, this may be, you may be witnessing today the pinnacle of my preaching career. I finally figured out how to make a blank a punctuation mark. Like, tell me when that's happened before any time. So, so today, here's the question. Are you a question mark or are you an exclamation point? Now, when it comes to leadership, I think there's two kinds of people. There's exclamation points. There's people who are like, yes, I've been waiting for this opportunity, right? They, you ask them about leadership or they bring it up and they're like, I want to change that. I want to be a part of that. I got ideas about that. I'm bringing people along with me to do that. And you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's almost intimidating because for most of us, we're not exclamation points. We're question marks. We're people who say when, when something comes up like that, we're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I'm able. And Moses was that kind of person. He was a question mark person. He was a person that said, God, I know you're saying lead my people out of slavery to freedom, but but I don't know. So in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, here's what Moses says back to God when God says, I need you. I want you. Here's what Moses replies. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God says, I see in you a leader. And Moses says, somebody else in the room? Like, who are you talking to? I don't, you must not be looking at me. Who am I? I can't be this person that could possibly do that. You probably find yourself asking that. Would you be surprised that I I ask that all the time? I joke about all the time the fact that when people are often surprised that I'm a pastor and they're like, you're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm as surprised as you are. Like, I, I, I don't know how it happened. So who am I? Exodus chapter 3, but Moses, Moses says to God, he goes on, and God, God says, yes, you. And Moses says, I still got questions. He says, Moses says to God, well, okay, okay, you're talking to me. Well, what if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, 
and they ask me, what is his name? What do I say then? What do I say then, God? In other words, God, you're going to send me to them, and what if I don't know what to say? What if they ask me questions, and I don't have the answers? What if I step into this leadership position, and I, I go do what you tell me to do, and I don't know what I'm doing? What if they find me out that I have no idea what I'm doing? What if they find out that I'm just a shepherd? I'm nobody. Moses is saying, I don't know what to do. And God says, listen, they ask you what my name is. Tell them, I am who I am. I am. In other words, what God's saying is, you tell them, I am the preexistence, one and true God. I'm the one who existed before time began and will exist long after time ends. I am, and I have always been. Moses says, I, I, I get it. Okay, you got that unanswered. But I still don't see what you see, God. I still don't see what you're talking about here. I still got questions. So he says, he's got these question marks, and he says, well, but what if, what if they don't believe me? What if, what if they don't listen to me? In Exodus 4.1, the Lord, he says, what if they say the Lord did not appear to you? In other words, you know, have you ever been around someone who's like, I heard a word from the Lord for you, and you're like, do you have voices in your head a lot? Like, you know, you're, like, have you ever been around, like, you felt like you wanted to say something to somebody, or God was prompting, and you're like, they're going to think I'm nuts. They're going to think I'm off my medication, and what's going to happen? Well, this is Moses. He's like, what if I say this, and they're like, you are out to lunch. You know, I'm not going to take you seriously, because most of us think when we when God's saying, I see in you a leader, I see in you someone who can do something about this, we go, but God, I don't have all the charisma. Yeah, I, I'm not that kind of personality, God. I don't, I don't have the right style. I don't have the right clout. I don't have the right position. I don't have any power. I, I can't be part of that. God says to Moses, this is not about your power or your clout or your charisma. This is about something that I'm about to do. And you get to be a part of it. So he says, I'll tell you what, Moses, why don't you throw down your staff for a second? He turns it into a snake. He says, I think that'll impress him. And he says, I'll tell you what, put your hand in your cloak, pull it out. It's got leprosy. Put it back in, pull it out. It's healed. He says, I think they'll see that's me. He says, I'll, I'll even give you the power to turn the Nile River to blood. He says, you don't, don't you worry about your influence. I got you covered in your life. Don't you worry about what they're going to say or their doubts of you. It's pretty powerful. But Moses, he's still in this place. Like, you would think all those things would happen, and he'd be like, okay, I guess this is going to work out. But Moses, he's still got questions. Like, God, I I don't know. I can't see myself as a leader. And so Moses says, in Exodus 4.10, he says, I have never been eloquent, Lord, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. God, I don't know what to say. I, I get my mixed up words and words, and I, I, I don't know what to say, and I, I don't know, I don't know what to do, and I, what if I say something stupid, or what if I'm not that witty, I don't know how, I'm not that diplomatic, I, I can't do this, and Moses just keeps throwing out these questions, and God just keeps saying, Moses, I see in you a leader, I will give you the words to say, I see in you a leader. Now, it's interesting that given Moses' past, Given our own past, he doesn't bring up the one question that you and I probably bring up all the time when God asks something of us. We bring it up all the time. We're like, and, and, and you'd think Moses would. 
given what he's been through. He doesn't say, God, what about my past? God, I don't know if you know this, but you want me to go back to Egypt. Let me just, let me just tell you what you probably, did, you probably didn't realize. I was actually banished from Egypt. I'm not real popular there. I'm actually known as a murderer there. I'm a killer. Who is going to listen to me? He doesn't even bring it up. It's like it's not even on his radar, and yet God knows it really is on his radar. And so God says to him in Exodus 4.19, go back to Egypt for all those who want to kill you are dead. In other words, your past is in your past. I have paved the way. I see in you a leader, and I will make the way for you to be a part of something amazing. Your past doesn't have to hold you back. You don't need that to hold you back. I see in you a leader. Now, for many of you, you might know this, but like you think, oh, my past, and what am I going to do? And you have all these question marks. But I want to tell you today, like I have seen this happen over and over in people's lives where they have stepped into what God has asked them to do, and it's been amazing what God's done with their lives. I think about Melissa Guzik, who's our children's ministry director here, and I have known Melissa for a long time. And she's got all kind of past, and I know about all of her past. And I've seen God do amazing things through Melissa. Other leaders have emerged. In fact, Melissa just had her baby this week. If you didn't know that, she just had her baby. And do you know what happened? Do you know who's leading this week? Leaders who emerged through Melissa's influence, who she has raised up and invested into and said, I see in you. I see in you leaders. And I was just talking to Pastor Ryan, our children's minister, our children's pastor, and he was telling me how there was a gal on her campus that on his campus has led for several years, and she was like, oh, I can do the logistics of this, but I don't know about like dealing with people and all that stuff. And more than 20 people now, he said, I just counted the other day, more than 20 people have come into children's ministry, and some of them raised up as leaders through her influence because she is someone who stepped into leadership and God's used her. I remember a gal that I worked with in local ministries years ago, like helping them in the community, and she'd go out, and she'd help me with events in the community, and she'd help organize and coordinate them. And I'd tell her, like, man, I see in you this leadership. I see what you could do. And she's like, no, no, I don't want to. I, I really like being on this with you, but I don't know. And, but she had such a heart for grieving people. And she began to raise up, and she began to actually say yes to God and step into that role. And now hundreds of people in our community and in our church have had their lives changed because she stepped up and now she leads in grief sharing. She leads it. Like, that is huge. Pastor Matt was just telling me in student ministry how much there's a college student who came back to help with the retreat, how much a difference it made because she was willing to step in and say, God, uh, I'll trust in you. See, that's what I love about our church is we believe in leadership. We believe in developing people. We believe in investing into others. And we believe in people just the way God does, to help other people. And this is, this is the essence of it, is to help other people on that journey. To say, well, you just bring someone else along. We just step into what God wants. God wants to do something new in you. And I'm honored to work with so many great leaders and so many great leaders who apprentice others and raise other, other people up. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that you're here for a reason this morning. How many of you are here? Let's see a show of hands. How many of you are here? Let's just make sure that you're here. That's good. That's almost all of you. Some of you are still questioning that whether you're here. But if you're here today, here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to talk to you this morning. I believe that God sees in you more than you see in yourself. I believe he wants to say, I see in you something amazing. And I want to do something supernatural. And God's spirit is right here right now saying, I see in you the potential to lead. 
to change something, to be a changer of the world. I see in you the potential to change someone's life. I see this in you, and I want you to step in it. You know how many times I think that many of us just, we come up with all these questions. We say, I, but, and I hear this a lot. I, I don't know enough about the Bible, though. I don't, I don't know enough to, be, to lead. I don't know enough. I, I, I can't talk well enough. I, I don't, do you know how busy I am? I don't have time. I, I, where, where would I even fit it in? We have questions. So did Moses. And you know what God said to Moses? You're still my God. You're still the one that I created. I don't want someone else. I want you. I want you. I think so often in our life, there's this God's power and love and presence is flowing like a river through this world. He desires to change it. He has always desired to change it, and people have experienced that life change over and over. And too many of us are standing on the shoreline looking at the current, afraid to even dip our toe in. But the moment we do, you will experience joy. The moment you do, you will experience the power of God in your life. You just have to step into what God wants, and God is going to change you, and he's going to develop you, and you're going to have joy in your life because you're rubbing shoulders with God, because you're just where he wants you to be. And I don't know if that'll look like just leading yourself, like just saying, you know what, I just... I need to lead myself. I've not been doing a good job of that. Or whether that means I'm going to lead someone else into some life change. Whether I'm going to lead 10 or I'm going to lead 50. But I know that you'll never find out until you take your foot off the shoreline and step in and say, God, I will trust you with what you want to do in my life and through my life. I know until you act, you'll never know the joy of it. So I want to encourage you to know the joy of it. To leave behind some of the questions. Now, there's one question mark that probably many of you have, and I think it's, it is a phenomenon in our culture when we look at leadership, and so I think it's one of the reasons that we all step back from leadership and say, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could be a part of that. And that's this, this way that we see leadership and what it actually means to be a leader because I think most of us have this perspective on it about how leaders and who leaders are and what we could be, and we go, mm, that's not me. So I just want you to watch a little a three-minute biography of a leader that you'll probably recognize from history. And then I want to talk to you about that perspective for a second. Let's watch. After serving 27 years in prison, Nelson Mandela helped end apartheid in South Africa and became his country's first democratically elected president. Nelson Mandela taught the 21st century how to forgive. Born in South Africa's Cape Province on July 18, 1918, Nelson Mandela joined the African National Congress Youth League in 1942 and directed acts of civil disobedience against the South African government. Nelson Mandela was an ardent opponent of apartheid. He came from this traditional clan which had a reputation for being fierce warriors that fought white domination from the very beginning and he felt it was his sacred mission to somehow rid his people from this scourge. After the 1960 Sharpeville massacre, where police killed 69 and wounded 180 unarmed protesters, Mandela became more militant. Three years later, Mandela and 10 others were sentenced to life in prison for sabotage and conspiracy to overthrow the government. 
throughout Nelson Mandela's career, he's had a very complex relationship with violence and nonviolence. Early in his career, he tried nonviolence. It didn't work. So then he tried violence. That's why he went to jail. During his incarceration, Mandela gained international attention. On June 11, 1988, in celebration of his birthday, artists such as Peter Gabriel, Lou Reed, and Whitney Houston held a concert in London's Wembley Stadium, which the BBC noted as being the biggest and most spectacular pop political event of all time. Nelson Mandela became internationally recognized because the anti-apartheid movement in America and around the world became international in the 1980s, and he just became this larger-in-life figure. On February 11, 1990, South African President de Klerk released Mandela from prison. Three years later, both men were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for their work in ending apartheid. On May 10, 1994, at the age of 77, Mandela was elected president. There never was one like him, and there probably never will be another like him. He was committed, once he got his career going, to not only liberating the South African people, but also being committed to human rights and human dignity. In 2002, he was awarded the U.S. Presidential Medal of Freedom, and two years later, Mandela formally retired from public life, but continued to work on global issues such as climate change, HIV, and human rights. Nelson Mandela died on December 5, 2013, at the age of 95. When Nelson Mandela died, we lost a great human being. We lost an incredible statesman. We lost an incredible man. Now, some of you probably see that, you watch that, maybe you grew up during that season, or you know who he was from history, and you think, yeah, but see, I'm not, not passionate like him, or courageous, or I'm not brilliant, or eloquent, I, so I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. But I think that's because we have a misconception of what leadership is. We think, oh, we've got to have the right power, the right influence, the right personality, but that's not what I see evidenced in leadership all the time in my life. So I want to talk to you about the, a question mark that I, I want you to consider as a different way, a different paradigm to look at leadership, and that's this. Are you, when God asks you to lead, are you aware that your influence is leadership? Your influence is leadership. Now, I've studied leadership a lot. I love leadership. I love investing into leaders. I love believing in people and actually got my graduate degree in leadership because I love leadership. Do you know what I found in all the definitions of leadership? One word. Always in almost every definition, influence. Influence is in every definition of leadership because it's who we are. It's how leadership happens. But we think, oh, I've got to be Nelson Mandela. I've got to be like him. But God only created one of him. God created one of you. And we don't think of other people like, remember the movie Blindside? Where, the, where Lee and Tui actually rescues that young man and his life and helps him turn a corner? See, that's leadership. She had no clout, she had no position. She just led her family. She used her influence in his life, and it made a huge change in his life. And every one of you has influence. Every one of you. And we have to get this, that leadership is influence. That's what it's about. I mean, sure, your temperament and your style and who you are and your experiences, they all lend to that, and they certainly determine how you lead or what your leadership looks like. But leadership is not those things. Leadership is influence. And you have influence in every relationship you have. You have influence in your family. 
You have influence at work with your coworkers. You have influence at school with your friends. You have influence everywhere in your life. Anywhere there's a relationship, you have influence. And I got I to say, you, I just want to encourage you to look for opportunities to lead, to influence the world and people around you to be changed by God, to in- intersect with God's love for the world and God's love for you. you know, at Daybreak, we, we invest a lot into leaders. We invest a lot into leadership. We invest a lot into people. And because of that, I've spent a lot of time like searching the gospel, searching the story of Jesus for what does leadership look like? What, how did Jesus lead? What's leadership look like from God? Is it about power, position? I remember thinking like early in, when I was in my 20s, like, well, I, being passive, like, well, I can't do anything about that because I don't have the right position. I don't have the right clout. I don't have the right. And God began to turn, help me turn the corner on this. I remember reading in John 15 about Jesus' leadership and looking at his whole story. And this is what he says in John 15 to his disciples, to his followers, to the guys that he was leading. This is what he says. I no longer call you servants because servants does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I've learned from the Father, I've known for you. In other words, Jesus is saying, Listen, when Jesus came, he was God. Why did he just come and boss people around? I mean, he had the authority to do it. He certainly had the power to do it. Why did he just come and boss people around? Why didn't he just tell his disciples, go get it done, go take care of that? Well, I'll just make everything happen. Why doesn't God do that throughout history? But instead, throughout history, and certainly throughout Jesus' life and ministry, do you know what he uses? Influence. When he has power, do you know what he uses power for? To protect and to bless. But when it comes to leadership, he uses influence. He chooses relationship over and over and over again. So let's come to Moses. Moses has no power. He has no clout. I mean, he's about to go back to Pharaoh, the guy that wanted to, that he challenged all this stuff. And he's, this is what, this is, in fact, this is what Pharaoh says when Moses finally does come back to him. Pharaoh says this to him when he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know him. I don't want anything to do with that. In other words, you got no clout here. You got no power or position here. You imagine when he shows up to the Hebrew people, the Israelites for the first time, he's like, hey, so I'm here to lead. And they're like, Who are you? What? But what he didn't recognize is that God had chosen him and that God was already at work and that God had given him some influence and God would give him influence to lead and lead in a life-changing way. Now, you might be thinking in your life, like, well, I'm not Moses. Where is this position that I have to lead in? Listen, you have places to lead all in your life. Okay, so if I think back over my life, I'm going to tell you about someone in my life who exhibited influence and led me. There's this gal that I met in college. Her name was Heidi. She was a friend of mine. And I didn't really go to, I wasn't really into going to church. I was just discovering God. And she invited me to go to this evangelical free church. She didn't have a car to get there. So I was her ride to get to even, so that made it like I had to go too because I had to take her there. However, she got that, listen, that little church, the evangelical free church in State College changed my life because it's there that I discovered and surrendered my life to God and said, God, not my way, your way. Your way is so much better than my way. I'm willing to give it all. It's like it changed the whole trajectory of my life. And she never led lots of groups. She never led lots of stuff. She led me. I'm going to ask you, who's been a leader like that in your life? Who has used their influence to lead you in your life? Why don't you take a minute and just on your, on your program, right on your outline right now, just write a couple names. Just take a minute and write a name or two 
of somebody, when you think of someone who had influence in your life, who was it? Just write their name down. If you're sitting beside your mom, write her name. That's a really good idea. It's, it's Mother's Day. Anyway, so like, I want you to think about it. Who are those people in your life? I mean, I could name person after person in my life that was like that for me. They led me. Now, let me ask you this question. Here's the real question. Who's that person in your life that you know that you have influence? God has given you influence with them so that they can have their life changed, so that they could meet Jesus, so that they could experience the power of God in their life, so that something good could happen, so that they could be blessed. Who are they in your life that God's given you influence with? And he wants you to lead them. He wants you to invest into them. Now, as I'm asking that question, you're thinking about that person and how you could be a part of it, how you could have joy. Because I want to tell you, there is not one experience in my whole life. You might be looking for, like, how do I have joy? How do I find happiness? How do I find fulfillment and meaning in my life? I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing that will give you more meaning and more joy than being a part of someone's life being changed because you used your influence in their life. Nothing will fill your life with joy like that does. You might be sitting there going, but what about my story? I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. Am I good enough? Do I, do I, could I really do that? So let's, let's cover this last question. When God asks you to lead, do you understand that God's already prepared you? Do you understand that God has been at work preparing you all along? That your story is important. So Moses has all these questions about his leadership. And he's just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about my story. He can't connect all the dots. But what he doesn't look back over is the first chapter of his life, his 40 years as this prince growing up in the house of Pharaoh, all the leadership training that he got, all the changes that he got, the whole feeling of like, I'm not, and I am. And, and, but he's just, all he could see himself was as a murderer and an outcast. I don't belong to either group. Like, this is all he could see himself as. And God was saying, no, I see you. I, I was preparing you in that season. And then he goes out, and he's a shepherd in the desert in Midian for 40 years. This is all he's doing. And in those moments, God is preparing him. He's quieting his heart. He's helping him deal with the real issues on the inside. And God is, Moses is discovering the God of the universe in that season, in that quiet season of his life, so that the last 40 years, at 70-some years old, God was going to do something significant through him because he was ready. God has been preparing you all along. He has seen things in your life that you don't see. And you might go, oh, I don't know, God, I don't know. But when God said to Moses, I see in you a leader, I made you for this reason. And Moses, no, not me. Go, no, I don't, no it's not about, I don't want to do it. God says, no, I see it in you, and I've prepared you for that. So what's God asking you? Where is God asking you to lead? You know, when the Apostle Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, was writing to some new believers, some people were just coming to Jesus, they were just figuring all of this out. This is what he said to him and them to Ephesians 2.10 to encourage them that, like, this is not about you. This is about what God can do in you and through you. Ephesians 2.10, he says, for we are God's handiwork. In other words, God made you. He knew what he was going to make you. He knew where he's at in your story, and he has been working in your story all along. God, you, you are... We are his handiwork. He says he created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, to be a part of the life-changing experiences that he has to be doing in the world. And it goes on to say that God has done what? Prepared them for us. This is not like, hey, whatever, I guess if it works, it works. 
God has been preparing good works for you to do since you were born. God has in mind how you're going to be a world changer. God has in mind the people that you're going to influence in your life. And he's just saying, will you come cooperate? I see in you this. I've been preparing it for you. And, and you might feel like, no, my past disqualifies me for this task of leadership. But God says, no, it actually uniquely qualifies you for it. It is your past that I have worked through and those wounds that you have that I've been healing. It is those things that have shaped you that make you unique, that make you uniquely qualified. God says, I want to do this. And for Moses, you know, he gets to the end of his story and he finally gets honest. Comes up with all these questions just like we do. But, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. And at the end of the story, this is what he says in Exodus 4.13. And this is when Moses really gets honest. Have you ever had the moments with God that you just, you just admit, you get honest about where you really are? Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. There it is. What Moses has been thinking all along. God, this is going to stretch me too much. Just send somebody else. God, this is going to cost me too much. Send somebody else. God, I just, I don't want to. I don't like what you might, you're going to ask me to do things I don't want to do. Send somebody else. And God's response is like, listen, I didn't make someone else for this task. I made you. I didn't prepare someone else for this task. I prepared you. I don't want someone else. I want you. I want you. Too often in my life, I'm just like Moses. I don't want to think that I'm like Moses, but I am. You know, and I, even in my, my own life, like I'm glad that God doesn't treat me the way I sometimes I, I parent my own kids. Like I, I, you know, those moments as a parent where you ask your child to do something and they don't do it, right? You're like, okay, take out the trash. Okay, I got it. You know, an hour later, you're like, hey, so I see the trash cans still in the same place. I'm wondering about the disparity between take out the trash, I'm, I'll get it, and the trash can hasn't moved. Like, what are we waiting for exactly here? I don't, Dad, no, I'm, I'm going to get it, uh, um, right? And then we have these lectures that we give. Delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. I'm sure glad that God is more patient with me than I am with my own kids. That in my extended yes, in my times where I'm like, I'm still getting to that honest point to say, God, I just don't want to. I just don't want to. That God is patient. And that God keeps sending people my way to say, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? That God is waiting for me. And that God says, no, go, Sean. I believe in you. You are the guy that I have for this. And God is saying the same thing to you. He doesn't need you to be somebody else. He doesn't need you to be Nelson Mandela. He needs you to be you. He doesn't want someone better. He doesn't want someone different. He prepared you. And he prepared you because there is joy ahead in this journey. He prepared you because there is meaning ahead in this journey. Because in helping someone experience life change, all you got to do is trust God and it will work. And God wants you to be part of it. He wants you to use your influence to lead. And you might say, but I still have question marks. It's okay. It's okay to have question marks. It's okay, but in the end, step up. Say, God, I want to be part of that. So what's God been preparing you for? What's he inviting you to? Like, is it to, like, make a difference in some people's lives in your neighborhood? Is, it, is there someone at work that you're like, man, I could, I could be a real influence in, with them? 
Maybe it's to serve somewhere. And David say, I, I want to serve in student ministry. I want to make a difference in some students' lives. Maybe it's in music. God's given you a gift in music. And you're like, man, I want to use that influence to make a difference for the kingdom, to change the world, to ask God, man, what do you want me to do with it? But whatever it is, wherever it is, do it. And invite some other people to come along. Use your influence to say, will you come along with me? Will you be a part of this to change the world? Because God wants you to do that. Now, for some of you, you might be like, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. But God's saying to you, I see in you a leader. And today might just be your day to lower your resistance and say, I've just been avoiding responsibility, and I need to get honest. I need to find my way to honesty, and then I need to take that step of faith and say, I'll do it, God. I'll lead. I'll be with you. You be with me. You figure it out with me. And some of you might be like, I'm pretty new to this. I don't even know what that would look like in my life. I don't know what to do about that. We have a great resource out at Mr. Center called What You Do Best in the Body of Christ. It's a great book by uh, Bruce Bugby. And it basically it teaches the same thing we teach in our journey class, which is also a great place. All of our ministry leaders know how to coach you in it to just basically help you go, We'll help you discover the gifts that God's given you, the talents that he has in your life, and help you discover where he wants you to use your influence. Now, let me, if, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, you haven't made that decision, you're off the hook for the next part of this conversation. But if you have, and you said, you know what? Oh, man, I'm following Jesus. I want to talk to you for a second. Too often in our lives, we ask questions. We get to point places in our life. We're like, oh, what do I want to do next? What's my life going to be about? What, what should I really do in life? If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The right question is, God, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? Jesus, I've decided to follow you. What do you want me to engage in? What do you want me to step up into? How do you want me to be a part of everything you've given to change the world? Wherever you see yourself today, know that God sees in you more than you see in yourself. Let him convince you of it. Let him say, I see in you a leader. I see in you someone who can change the world. Let him convince you of it. Make it your life call to let God convince you over and over about the things he wants to see in you and change in you. Now, I want to give you a moment, just in a few minutes, I'm going to show you a video. I'm going to let you kind of process all of this in the video and respond. And I want to encourage you to get your response card out now. And during the video, you can respond to this question. Where has God asked you to lead? And you need to just write it down today. Court, let me pray for you. Like, where has God asked you to influence? And who? Is it yourself? Is it someone else? Like, who's God put on your mind today? And what context has he put on your mind and say, you know what? Will you pray for me to say, yes, there. God's seen something in me, and I'm going to be honest about my question marks, but I want to be a world changer. I want to walk with Jesus in this. I want to experience what God wants me to experience. So let's stop. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to let you kind of process that and respond today. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord God, I know that you created every one of us and that you see more in us than we see in ourselves. Sometimes we, we're people that we don't know that we are. We, we don't think we're those people, but God, you have seen in us. You have created us. You know, and we have question marks. So God, I guess I'd start by saying, will you help us to be honest today? To feel safe in your presence and say, God, I can just be honest about why I'm resisting. And then God, be relentless. 
to help us say yes. Be patient with us. Help us to say yes and to use the influence that you are giving us to change the world, to change someone else's life, to be people who help other people on a life-changing journey with Jesus. And God, maybe even today, for some of us here today, who haven't said yes to Jesus yet in any form, we might just say, God, you know what? I'm glad that you see more in me than I see in myself. And today, will you forgive me for my past and put that behind me? Will you just be my leader today and help me to follow you well today? Because I want, I want my life to be different from here on out. I want to experience life changing. God, believe in us today and help us to see what you see in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, God saw and God worked in Moses' life, and he wants to work in yours too. And you might be like, well, I don't have what it takes. Okay, neither did Moses. It wasn't about Moses. It was about what God wants to do. And so you should process what's God want to do in your life today that he said, I see this in you, and you just need to say yes. Will, will you say yes to him today? That's what